Good evening. You are listening to Three Moves Ahead, a strategy game podcast, which I don't usually say. I guess I guess every episode is somebody's first episode. So maybe I should be saying what the hell this show is at the beginning of the show. <laughs> I am Len. I'm your host. And uh, I am joined today by Ascended Champion John Bolding. Hello, hello. And Sorcerer Queen Rowan Kaiser. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. Yeah. Uh, and we're we're here to talk about Age of Wonders 4, the latest turn-based, customizable fantasy. I would almost call it like a speed 4X um, from uh, Triumph Studios. Uh, it's the first proper Age of Wonders game. When did Age of Wonders 3 come out? I actually did not look like 2014 or 2015. Yeah, so it's almost a decade ago. Follow up to Planetfall, which was kind of a sci-fi spin, um, which is actually where I jumped into the series. Uh, did either of you play any of the older Age of Wonders games? I believe I have played all of them except maybe Shadow Magic. I'm not sure if I played that one or two or both. Okay, yeah, I did load up three for a little bit just to see what it was about and... Yeah, there's, there's definitely uh, yeah. an interesting arc to this series, but we can we could talk about that a bit later. Yeah, uh, unless you want to do it now. I can <laughs> go over it now. Let's do it now. Let's do it live. What is uh, what is the grand arc uh, of the the Age of Wonders franchise as you see it? So this this series has gone on for about a little over twenty years. I think the first one came out in two thousand or maybe ninety nine. Uh. And it's kind of been, this is what the fantasy 4X of the era is each time. Um, there are only a couple times where it's been like actually similar games repeated. Uh, the first one was very much kind of a master of magic combined with heroes of might and magic, which were already fairly similar games. Uh, and you're like moving big armies over a big map that you're kind of like, got a little hero that you're exploring with a la heroes of might and magic the the battles were very uh simple tactical uh you've moved all your troops around it probably should have been done automatically it was a very long slow game the thing that always impressed me about it was that it had this big world and uh mythology behind it that was extremely silmarillion like which is a somewhat rare thing in games especially back then now nowadays you get a lot more like tragic politics but uh before game of thrones hit it was it was more novel but you know there were elves betraying each other and it also had a really good music to it that kind of captured this like fallen grandeur that actually is probably the only thing that's been consistent across the series is uh, there, there are certain musical themes that I'm still recognizing in Age of Wonders 4. Um, Two and Shadow Magic were sort of spinoffs of the same thing, but they were a little bit more specific. They weren't this like general, generic epic fantasy that had been made into like a story, if that makes sense. It's a thing that makes sense to me and like... Sometimes it works to go a lot more specific, like, oh, yeah, now we have 16 different little races that all have their specific lore. Uh, when the original one was just like, yeah, we got lizards and 
elves and half legs. They're all around. Whatever. We got your lizards. We got your elves. What more could you? <laughs> that's that's kind of the the over the overarching thing about the series is that it's it's a mishmash of all the things that you want. Uh, so then it disappeared for like ten years and got resurrected with Age of Wonders three, which I always felt like was a kind of turn-based total war uh it was like it felt like they were trying to get this feeling of strategic level was okay but we really want to get you to the tactical level and you get into these big old battles with giant sieges and it looks really cool and uh i reviewed that one and like i did not have a good time with anything re mostly related to the story or the scenarios, which is the complete opposite of what Age of Wonders was like. One was like. Uh, but when I just put it in like a regular randomized world and like got to fight the giant siege battles all all the times that I wanted, uh, then then the game started really clicking. Uh, but, yeah, you know, I, I, I totally agree reviews. on Age of Wonders 3 where my memory of it is, wow, this campaign's just okay. Wow, these custom maps like these big big giant custom maps with lots of enemies to fight these are really fun yeah uh, that that's one of those things where the idea trying to push you to finish the story idea <laughs> probably made my re my review hurt a lot uh we we've all encountered that some of us extremely recently uh yeah yeah that's, that's uh, john, john had a good time with darkest dungeon too <laughs> did i uh <laughs> But then the really interesting switch was when they do, they went to Planetfall, and I think this is after Paradox bought the studio, or at least like bought the rights to publish, and then eventually mm -hmm. bought the studio. Uh, so Planetfall was like, okay, we had a good tactical mode in the last game. What if we just made this all about super intricate tactical and like individually customizing all of your units? It was kind of a Warhammer game. They switched it out to space. And you were like, you started with the, the equivalent of the Space Marine faction. So that's like the main way I remember it. I did not get super deep into it. I felt like the pacing on some of the scenarios was a little off. Uh, but yeah, it had this intense focus on smaller tactical battles with like tinkering with how your, uh, how your, units were going to look and you could end up creating like these very specific like counters to each other or you could say like i think i want you know two of these units that spread fire and then another unit that'll heal them when they catch on fire like all these all these very intentional intentionally designed things as opposed to the kind of mishmash of giant armies that the previous ones had had and that ended up i think being a really fresh take on the kind of 4X, uh, 4X model uh, that tends to go bigger without necessarily getting better at it. And uh, it was also a good thing for the series that had been like, yeah, I, I hadn't really loved any of the games since the first one. Uh, and then Age of Wonders 4 is like, okay, what if we did the fantasy version of that? But they even escalated it further because you're not just tinkering with the individual units. You're tinkering with like your entire society, the, all the races you have put together. You can cast spells that transform these things. And this is this has become like this. 
I feel like they've they've figured out this kind of really good alchemy of just enough like basic 4x stuff to have a nice little window dressing and then this kind of tactical and customization thing that really makes the game shine and stand out from you know an endless legend or a, uh any number of other fantasy 4x's that come out um and that's that's i think what makes this game special i also think when you were talking about how it's sort of a 4x game lynn uh, this might be a this might be a good segue into a, a sub sub genre here uh, that it's like a 4x game that's primarily focused on just getting you to combat. Um, the Warlock games from Paradox like a decade ago were really good at this. Um, Gladius, the Warhammer mm-hmm. game is basically that it's it's just trying to make sure that you are you know, it's still a 4x game, but you're fighting. That's what you're doing. Uh, and then this game is a little more has like a specific tactical map to it, but it's also within that that kind of fast 4x that's about uh, just kind of having having enough strategy on the outside to get you to the combat. That's the real focus. Right. Like there's I mean, there's the the standard like domination style victory where you just kill everybody. Uh, but even the the ones that are like supposed to be the sort of alternate victory conditions they still boil down to like winning a series of battles like there's there's not like a culture victory where like you just don't make any units and you you know you win by you know sending rock bands out to you know culture bomb your enemies or whatever like you're always you're always going to be have there's always going to be some sort of final battle it is definitely like it's a lot more combat focused than And and even just like when you're exploring the map, there's a bunch of like marauder guards is what they call the generic enemies. And if you want to get the resources to build up, you're going to need to fight a lot. Uh, You want the resources, otherwise you will lose. Right. Yeah, it's very much a uh, it has the heroes of might and magic itch, right? Where like no major event is going to happen in the game without a tactical battle of some kind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, um, and yeah, it does still have that heroes that heroes component of exploration is directly related to combat and it's how you get these resources and so on. It's not like civilization where exploring is often like trying to avoid the random enemies. Like the the two are completely hand in hand together here. Right. And like their version of wonders are they're basically a dungeon that you have to go in and clear out before you can actually get a benefit from them. Um, yeah. Which is like, yeah, they pre-exist on the map and then you send in units and have yeah. a fight of some kind. Uh, yeah. You find like an ancient temple. And when you clear that out and build a city next to it, it gives you way more benefit than any random province would, but you have to actually clear it out. And mm-hmm. it's like they decided that's what the name of the game is. There is not a whole lot of like narrative connection here between this and the original the Age of Wonders. Like maybe they have put together. Uh, it seems like they've destroyed the world and rebuilt it like four times. And perhaps it's the <laughs> same world from Age of Wonders one. But like. Yeah, they've sort of yeah. decided that there's like a meta story where there are really powerful wizards who travel between dimensions a la like Magic the Gathering. Right. Yeah. And then sometimes when a bunch of those wizards show up at once, a whole world gets exploded and rebuilt. 
Yeah. Watching, and that's yes, seeing other people talk about it. And you know, you can let us know, you know, on the you know, forums or our Discord or whatever, how accurate this is. It seems to me like a lot of people were upset because they've basically said all the stuff that happened in Age of Wonders 3 doesn't matter. And this is more of a sequel to Age of Wonders 2, which it seems like some people were annoyed by, but it's hard for me to gauge exactly, you know, how accurate any of that is since I didn't play Age of Wonders 2. And it's very difficult for me to care because like the, <laughs> yeah. the it doesn't really matter. Yeah. Okay, fantasy world. <laughs> like sometimes the characters will be good in games like this, but like the world itself is nothing too special to yeah. write home about, right? It's, like, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's elves it's, and dwarves, and maybe Age of Wonders has the magic, and that there's a preponderance of furries compared to other generic <laughs> fantasy worlds. Yeah, it, it's like uh, it's like Age of Sigmar. Everybody's just going through portals. It's like okay, we're on an ice world now. We're gonna fight in this ice world, and we're gonna go through another portal and go somewhere else. And uh, oh, that world is doomed because we lost to the Demon King. Well, now there's thousands of others. That's fine. <laughs> Yeah, yeah like, and I do. I think the Magic the Gathering yeah. comparison is really That's apt you. as well, where it's just yeah, like uh-huh. there's a few things that carry mm-hmm. across every world, but every world also still has its own little unique thing. Like this might be an ice world, this might be a adorable bucolic halfling world, or whatever. <laughs> Speaking yeah, of which, so- shout out to the halflings in this. They've named. They have the most ridiculous names, like Pot Kettle Black, and like ham sandwich and shit like it's so good it makes me laugh so hard every time i see one yeah so like the the original age of wonders had like this tolkien-esque mythology behind how these races all came to be and how they had interacted with each other for centuries and like one of them was an ancient evil that was being awakened because the dark elves were getting rambunctious blah 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 <laughs> this is just like classic hey, have you have you heard of you know fantasy tigers well we've got those We've got frogs, we've there's, got elves, we've got men. we've got mole men, we've got <laughs> goblins, we've got go- orcs and goblins are very separate. Uh, none of that Tolkien-esque confusion here. Uh, this is just like, we have this hodgepodge. And I think this is, this is one of the two greatest strengths of the Age of Wonders 4, is that, I don't know... You probably remember this, Lid, because we've talked about Solaris so often. We were, in fact, talking about Solaris before before we came on the show, as they mm-hmm. just had a spinoff announced. Um, this is the game that seems to take Stellaris's promise seriously. Uh, this is the this is what I wanted from Stellaris at a certain level in terms of like all the customization that you do to your race in that, uh, like you're, you're choosing your morality, you're choosing your uh, like the specific traits that your species has, you're choosing their type of government and so on. This game has all that, but it has all that in a way that actually shows up on the screen in a really interesting way. Like just the the way all the characters look. And then when you customize them later with these spells, like they both behave differently in combat and they look completely differently when you actually zoom in on the characters or sometimes not. Like if you choose to use the major transformation that makes your characters big, it's one of the nature ones, I think like Mm -hmm. they will show up as like, instead of units of five of uh, medium sized guys, that'll be units of three, but they're all giant size. And like 
you can and- cast spells that make them like ha- grow branches out of their shoulders. And it's like when I would complain about Stellaris, it'd be like, I keep saying like, I'm, I'm turning Valley Girl. Um, <laughs> when I would when I would play Stellaris, it would be. I would like make a decision about this is the future of my species. This is what they're going to be like moving forward. And then it would just say, okay, your species is that there's no, there's no like representation of that aesthetically or even like a recognizable way that that changes combat or economy or whatever, but it drastically changes here, both visually and actively. Like I cast the the minor race transformation that like, I think it's called rooted uh, and all my characters grow like little branches out of them and they can't be charged by enemies anymore. Or then I cast, I I have like plague as the ice elves. I could cast a spell that like turns the entire map into a snow planet, Mm -hmm. like slowly around all of my, love all of my cities. And it's just like this, I want this responsiveness, this responsiveness to customization is so cool. Um, it's not just you're playing as the frogs. It's like, oh, I'm playing as this specific group of like crusader frogs that I'm going to turn into angels over time. <laughs> I was, I'm laughing because that's a thing you could totally do. Yeah. yeah. Well, this is really great. Yeah, I know. Yeah, I love that. Like, yeah, go. Oh, go ahead, John. I love that you can mess with stuff, right? Like I just really, I enjoy the ability to be like, all right, Let's uh let's get on that arcane magic crack. Let's just inject that straight into our veins, kids, and <laughs> yeah. just make your whole race addicted to magic. And uh, you can also you know infuse their blood with arcane power, so that whenever you cast a spell in combat, they get bonus crit chance, and then their model actually changes, and all the veins on their bodies are highlighted in glowing blue. That kind of yeah. stuff is really great. It's really satisfying and. I like that you can feud with other people over control of a species as well, right? Like if you control the majority of that species in the world, you're the keeper or whatever. And you're the one who can cast spells to change how they exist. But if someone else uh, theoretically takes that from you, they can become in charge or what have you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, my, my current game, I've made it, made some like chaos nature elves that yes. I've like. I've yes. shrunk them down so that there's a whole bunch of them in every unit. I've got them like addicted to arcane magic, like John said, <laughs> and like I'm slowly building up like all of their nature things so that it's like there's a ton of elves and they cast spells to make a ton of animals and they can cast a lot of spells. And like, yeah, this is this is just a blast. Yeah, it's well, there's like two axes of customization, right? Because there's the Empire creation, which is where you select, I mean, like the, the 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 look of your race doesn't actually matter. Like you choose elfoid or orcoid or humanoid or whatever, and it gives you like some suggested starting traits, but you can obviously change them. It gives you and the generic fantasy group, right? So like if right, you pick uh-huh. humans, the generic suggested two traits is like they're adaptable or something, right? Right. And, you know, elves have like good sight and are agile or whatever, but you can totally make them whatever you want. Like you can make, you know, cat people that like live underground and ride on giant spiders like like the drow or whatever. Um, And so you select all that and then you select like from a culture 
which is, you know, like barbarian. Uh, there's like a feudal kind of default medieval European fantasy one. There's high, which is basically like Gondor or like the high elves from uh, Warhammer. Warhammer fantasy would be a good example. Um, and then there's within each run, there's the additional customization of as you're basically teching up through these magical tomes, you get stuff like, you know, yeah. being able to there's, turn them into plant people who can move faster through forests or, you know. Yeah, the, the, the tomes are a very, yeah. The tomes are a very specific thing. Uh yeah. and I think it's actually kind of clever. And I'm just sort of realizing how clever it is mm-hmm. uh, as we're talking about this. But like, yeah you don't there's not like a separation between technology and spells here you just pick mm-hmm. out tomes of magic and they can be like tomes of lightning or tomes of chaos uh, uh and each of them has like five or six things you can research from them probably half of them are spells half of those spells are like things that you cast directly on the map either strategically or tactically and then half of those are like buffs that you can do for your cities or your race so when we're talking about transforming our our uh our races that's that's a thing that you cast you learn the spell a minor race transformation then you cast it across three turns and then your guys will have like higher resistance to magic or whatever um they also have buildings that you can research and units that you can research and these units are this is like the main way that you actually improve the units that you're using in combat where you have you have armies of up to 6 units and then you can combine like a few armies at once so you, i think you can get up to 18 on your side in a battle it might be, even be more um and you have heroes that you get and run around with but the units that you get you also pick these from the tomes so i find myself looking at the tomes when i go up a level being like, okay, do I want to accent the kind of development along the path that I have? Because the tomes are associated with elements, which also go along with kind of the social progression of your empire. That's a whole, a whole other thing. Um, this is sounding increasingly complicated, but it actually <laughs> crosses simple choices that have increasingly complex effects when you're playing the game. Um, but also it's like, oh, I really need a cavalry unit Maybe I should select like the zeal tome because that has the heavy cavalry knights uh, for the the like crusader things. And like, no, obviously I don't want to do that because I have this race that I'm building is like on a completely different path. And that's just kind of a digression, except for grabbing this one cavalry thing. Or I might really, really want that cavalry. So I could be making the decision being like, I need a spell that does direct damage. I'm picking the lightning tome. I need a spell that makes all of my units better. So I pick one that has a cool race transformation. I need a spell or I need a unit or I need something that'll make my city stronger. And those are choices as well. Or I'm just role playing. I want to make these nature elves the coolest damn nature elves I possibly can. So I'm picking the nature tome no matter what's in it. And it doesn't come across as like this this big thing that you have to decide on. The first few games I played, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I guess water seems cool. I'll do water. And now I'm like examining each one to be like, all right, which unit do I need in this particular this particular instant, uh, instance? And like 
it's it's another one of those things where the tones that you pick will slowly change the choices you get across the game. You still have the choices, but those choices will change depending on which elements of which tones you've gotten. And like, it all adds up in this way that it's like the characters that I'm playing on the screen, the the choices that I make strategically and tactically are all reflections of how I have developed across this entire game. And quite frankly, I'm not sure there's a strategy game that I feel like has successfully done this like Age of Wonders 4. It's not to say that this is like a one of a kind game that can't be missed. I think there's still some other issues with it, but in terms of like getting this customization ex- the, the at a level beyond what we've seen before, I'm just so impressed with like how clever these design decisions are. Yeah, I think that uh the um the sheer volume of things that you can customize in this is really great, but I think what's perhaps better or more impressive is that I don't feel overwhelmed making all those decisions, right? I don't feel like I'm getting swamped by a million tiny decisions, each of which is so vital and really important to how I play or none of which mean anything in the grand scheme of thing, right? They're not just like a grand bunch of 2% to melee damage bonuses or what have you, right? They they do things that I care about. And yeah. I love how they snowball, uh, like you were saying, Rowan, where you're like, oh, I want to I want my I want my faction to be really good at summoning and controlling cool animals. And so you're yeah. able to pick these nature tomes and you're able to pick these spells and you're like, oh, you sort of mouse through the five or six new spells that each tome will let you research. And you're like, oh, they, these give bonuses to animals. I'll pick this one or you can much more strategically be like, oh, but this other this other tome is going to let me summon these useful buffer units, and those are going to be really good with the units I already have in the field. I'll pick that one for now, or what have you. I really enjoy that those choices feel meaningful, and they feel like they influence each other and they're branching, but you're able to choose ahead of time a direction you want to shoot for and do it. I do yeah. wonder if they've nerfed the uh, the spell yet that where you get a free animal unit every time you colonize a province. Because the, the time that I I use that, I just had I, I had basically unlimited free trash units. I was just throwing like six stacks of spiders at the guy next to me that I didn't like. It's like I don't even have the upkeep for all these, so I'm just gonna. Just infinite spiders. I'm just going to barf spiders on you until you're dead. <laughs> infinite like spiders one. is a good day for the show. There we go. Yeah. Um, um, yeah, I yeah. have not I have not seen that one. And I've been playing. I think I'm on my second different nature. Nature campaign currently. That is so. a that is a great power. It's one of the the like magic tech tree that increases uh, the empire bonuses or what have you. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's this really great system in this game where you have a resource. I think it's called Imperium, yeah, yeah. which yeah. is spent on a broadly diverse set of things that I really enjoy because they directly feed into if you're a sort of forex junkie or an insider, they directly feed into the wide versus tall concept mm-hmm. where you have to spend Imperium to 
it's it's the resource that's used to build new sit found new cities right build them and mm-hmm. also it's the resource that's used to uh do diplomacy and integrate other cities into your own empire right so like if you meet a free city of some kind a little uh one one province empire they've just got their one city and some units right mm-hmm. and those are fun because often integrating them will let you get like a new species added to your empire right you're like i'm goblins but also now we have cat people or what have you um or i'm goblins but also now this is my favorite one we were like chaos horrible little goblins and then we met another city of goblins that like lived in some mountains and they were uh monstrous undead goblins (laughs) instead and i was like well now we're just every kind of terrible me and these other (laughs) goblins together let's go burn things and so those are great choices. You really want this Imperium resource to do that. Also, Imperium is used for, I think the tech. it's a tech tree called like Empire Development. Mm-hmm. And spread among your hero units, you have these, and your tomes, you have these affinities for certain trees of magic. And each turn, those add to a little automatically incrementing upwards, sort of spiral outward of new text to get within the different schools of magic. So you have like shadow magic and chaos magic and law magic. And I'm trying to think of what the other ones are. Nature and um, arcane and arcane, right. Shadows the undead one. Um, No, it's not order. It's like uh, material magic, right? It's like golem and magic weapons and things. right? Right. And then there's a generalist tree. And those all increment every turn and they unlock things that are permanent sort of research style upgrades like, okay, now you're every time, every time you get a new province, you get a free animal, right? Or every time you uh, build melee units, they get this permanent bonus or it's cheaper to found new outposts, what have you, right? There's lots of also it's also the only repeatable way to increase your city cap. Right. Which starts yeah. at three. And if you want to play super wide, you can keep taking that node over and over again and build as many cities as you want. But it comes at the cost of other things. Yeah. All these yeah. other little upgrades, some of which are really powerful, some of which give like a really potent one off bonus. Right. There's one that just it's in the arcane tree. That's just you. You buy it and you just get a thousand of the magic resource. Ta-da. You never need to think about that resource again. <laughs> um, yeah. There's I also like that. a. Your choice on the tech tree is between doing things on the map or buffing your existing stuff. Yeah, the there's also one that like you sacrifice a population in your cities, which doesn't actually affect that much directly in the moment, but it'll make them grow a lot slower. But you instantly get three tier one units in each city. Uh, So it's like, uh, oh, shit, the enemy army is coming. I need to I need to just throw everything at them. Clicking the militia button in Warcraft three or Age of Empires. Yeah. Yeah. The the other thing that the Imperium resource does is that's the way that you can instantly grow your cities. Uh, You click on that on your city and it'll give you a new population point. The population Mm -hmm. point uh, in this game, like each new population you get adds to another province uh, around your city. So your borders expand, you get more resources directly in the city. You're also building buildings, but it's, it's just a very clever to interject are, are these chunks of 10, a dozen or so hexes on the map, right. That are sort of contiguous and you can control them by building a little bit or by assigning a population to them essentially. 
Yeah, and and like they might have a gold mine on them, or they might have one of those uh, one of those wonders that we talked about that is right. like super powerful once you explore it. Um, but just the way that like city size will manifest as uh, like working the land around the city and then the borders expand that it's like, oh, should I drop another city here? Should I expect to expand this city here? Like it's all just a very clever way of adapting the the Forex formula to give a satisfying like feeling of expansion versus just like it's been 10 turns. You, you're slightly bigger now. Now it feels like you're making these choices to make your cities cooler every time. Yeah. I just I I, I just I really say, like uh, the feel the feel of expansion there. Yeah, I love like one city challenges like Venice was my favorite Civ in Civ five. And uh, yeah, there's so many ways to facilitate that in Age of Wonders Four. there's there's a couple victory conditions that require you to have at least three cities like the. Uh, the beacons are lit one and then the uh, where you transform the whole realm into your element one. You need at least three cities because you need to build these three things that you can only have one of per city and defend them. Um, but yeah, if you're just going for conquest or if you're going for a story victory, because I mean, we'll talk a little, a little bit more about this later, but a lot of the realm, a lot of the, the ways you can play are story realms where the regular victory conditions don't matter and you just have to go beat up an ice queen or something, which are probably my favorite maps in age of age of wonders for But um, yeah, if, if you're a wide player, if you're a tall player, like there's a lot of options for you to be able to play the way you want. And I just feel like the balance between like the opportunity cost of all of the things you could be spending your Imperium on and even stuff like buying out buildings, like the balance is just like right. It's right in that sweet spot. Like they got all the ingredients for this cake. They got the exact right amount, um, which, again, doesn't mean there aren't other areas where it has issues. But I feel like it's one of those things that like you really notice when someone gets it wrong or gets it right is just like the resource economy in in this game is right spot on i think except for the yeah. infinite animals <laughs> but you, you have you have upkeep problems when you get those so like yeah, yeah you true, there true. is a there is at least some pushback yeah. i wanted to go back to something john said about how yeah. how this game doesn't feel overwhelming with choices and um a lot of this game is like built on the skeleton of what Planetfall did. Uh, I, as I mentioned, Planetfall kind of took the series into this very focused, customizable, intensely tactical direction that I liked a lot. But Planetfall, I felt like when you were upgrading the units, got really, really picky about like you have to have, you know, three of these different resources and put them all together. Do you do this for one unit at a time? It felt like it was one unit at a time, or you need like mm-hmm. more resources to do this. In the age of wonders, it's just like, yeah, you want to do that? Just make sure you got enough mana. That's it. Uh, and the, the simplified version of that, like this is the thing that largely drove me away from planet fall and the pace, the pace was a little off in that, but 
in in Age of Wonders 4, it's like, okay, I you made it just a little bit wider and a little bit less intensely focused on like it, the individual. And that's like just the perfect level of decision, uh, avoiding decision fatigue that, uh, that, that really works well here. Um, Planetfall is still quite interesting and quite good, and I I really should go back someday and and play the like even weirder campaigns and not just the Space Marines. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, this this game I think takes takes some small steps that end up being very influential away from the Planetfall model. Yeah, and I think the the major difference is that here it's build your own faction, right from the ground mm, yeah. up. You you build your own faction. Whereas Planetfall was like, you're space Amazons, okay? Like, that's yeah. what you're doing this campaign. You got some, you've got a lot of options of how to customize your space Amazons, but like, that's the faction you are. Yeah. Well, and I, I love that it lets you play against type. I know a lot of people will just go with the defaults, but like, I love playing just like brutal, bloodthirsty barbarian elves or like, noble holy paladin orcs like i i just love flipping those tropes on their heads and uh, they give you a lot of room to do that too um yeah which is satisfying all the way down to sort of like if you've got a pet favorite weird twist from some other media property i like that you can probably recreate that like because you can change you can customize things like when you're picking your race like height and skin color and things like that right so like if you want to be the weird red orcs from board of warcraft you can totally do that right like that's a hundred percent an option here and they will be distinct from the world of warcraft green orcs with lightning magic right like you've got that availability open to you which i feel like a lot of time when fantasy games attempt to those sorts of things they get they increase how generic the fantasy is rather than let you actually tweak the high fantasy to your own liking or your own specifications. Yeah, I think that's a good way to frame it. I I also like that when you finish the story scenarios and possibly the other scenarios, I haven't actually finished a generic scenario, uh, like the races that you encounter that are kind of like the story things that are going on. Like, you know, there's, there's an early story mission where you're going at like rescuing the, the failed creations of, uh, uh, Godier or the name for the wizards here. A Godier has gone off the rails and is just experimenting to creating little little frogmen and ratmen. Uh, mm-hmm. And then, like when you start a new scenario, you can pick from those guys. Uh, they've been added there, and like it's always had like or whenever you see them, like you can hover over the description of them, and it says like, "Oh, these were the the failed creations of Nimue, and they've gone off to do their own thing," and like. So like when you start the game, it's like, okay, pick pick which um pick which kind of customized races. And we have like 12 of them. There's like a good version and an evil version of humans, orcs, elves, et cetera, et cetera. And then as you play through this story, you're adding these like extra guys. It's like, okay, now there's the the failed uh experiments of the rat kid in addition to the like evil rat kid and the good rat kid that were kind of generic to start with and it like sort of builds up like oh these these are the characters i know these are my friends maybe maybe they'll show up in my game maybe i can play as them 
I I can save all these things again in the the way that you can in Stellaris, where you can like have a customized batch of races or just play with all randomized races. Um, it just it it works really well with the meta story that they've established, and it's mm-hmm. also just neat to see your old friends or enemies available there. Well, and it's also you know as you play, you you're developing this pantheon, which is. The really interesting thing about it is it the, the two ways you can get a leader into the Pantheon is you can have the leader of your faction if you won. Um, and that includes even if you're just playing a random map, like it doesn't matter. It can be a random map. It can be a story map, whatever. As long as you win, your leader goes into that Pantheon pool. And also in the story realms, the like big antagonists you fight also go into the pantheon and they can show up later in any campaign you could just roll a random map and then suddenly in your hero pool like here i'm just yanking out of the portal my my leader from four campaigns ago who we're going to call on for aid or you know if it's there's kind of like a good guy bad guy toggle and you can you can actually set each member of the pantheon if they're antagonistic or helpful and if they're on the antagonist side they might just spawn in as one of the other random you know yeah uh competing civs uh yeah you, the yeah. toggle is between like recruitable hero or yeah. an actual uh leader of an empire so you could ally with them again it's True. not necessarily yeah. an enemy but they are your rival in in trying to win the game um and yeah, yeah that's it's a way that manages to give this game that's a bunch of like vaguely linked scenarios some sense of permanence and some sense of emotional is maybe a strong word but just like attachment from having played next to these guys yeah John, did you did you um, have like a favorite leader that uh, you I abs- talk? yeah i absolutely did i had uh uh-huh. i so i made like goblin genghis khan nice um <laughs> uh-huh, yeah, perhaps. like, yes, perhaps <laughs> something to this effect, right? Um, in that, yes, I made them giant goblins, right? So they were really big. So it's literally um, the hobgoblins. Yeah, right? really okay. big goblins riding on riding on wolves. And I was like, yep, this is the stupidest plan ever. I love this. Um, and they were great. I really loved them. And so I made their, I made their guy, like, just uh, their leader is just this, like, monster in, in combat who's very, very good at shooting his bow, right? Um, and so I keep having him show up as like a recruitable hero. And I'm like, there's this guy, there's the guy we like. He's just out there marauding across the cosmos, <laughs> burning everything he sees. Love that guy. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and I think it pairs really well with the other thing that I've praised about, about this game a lot, which is, I, I think I said speed forex earlier. I would maybe a better term would be like, it's like a sessionable forex. Like my favorite yeah. way to play Civ is to put it on like Epic. I don't have time for Marathon anymore. I'm in my mid thirties, but and then like <laughs> play the same campaign for you know a week or maybe even you know like two weeks, just coming back to it and seeing history unfold. The default pace for Age of Wonders Four is like you can, you can probably finish a campaign in like four or five hours. Like you could have most of your Saturday left, uh, <laughs> you know. After you, uh, you know, you get through a, a session of this and 
that stuff carries over. If you beat up a a cool story related bad guy, they go into your pool. If you won the map, your leader goes into your pool for later. You you progress toward down this like meta progression track thing that can unlock some like cosmetics and even some new leader origins. And uh, I just found that to be like a very satisfying pace, both on the strategic level and the tactical level, which is a whole other thing. I feel like the battles take about exactly the right amount of time and a whole campaign takes about exactly the right amount of time for my patience not to wear out with this type of game, which I think Planet Falls sometime, maybe one of the reasons yeah. I bounced off of it is it could take way too long to finish yep. a map. Planet Fall felt like there would be, especially in the the like default campaign, like there would be a map that was like, okay, I've done everything that I like. I feel done with this, but then I have to go through 50 more turns just to like accomplish the task that you have set before me. And that was, that was pretty off putting this game. The pace is the thing that I feel strangest about because everything you've said is right. Like it is fairly fast playing. Uh, it's sort of like the internal game pace feels a little bit off to me. And that might be, it might be in part because I'm sort of wanting to play it like Civ and like slowly grow and develop relationships with what I should be doing is like slicing through to the thing that will have me win, which I guess is also the case with modern Civs, which is part of why I, I mm -hmm. uh, am somewhat skeptical of them. But yeah, it, it sort of feels like I can get done or I'm nowhere near done exploring, but all of a sudden the scenario is basically over or yeah, it's it's difficult to put my finger on exactly, but sometimes it just doesn't feel like satisfying. The amount of time is okay. Uh, just like my connection with the map and how how far I feel I should have gone versus how far it is in both directions can occasionally feel off. And that's that's why I haven't like totally thrown myself into this. I'm only like a few few story scenarios in, although I have had to repeat the fourth scenario a few times because i've yeah. slowly been figuring out how it actually works that's a um, that's a tricky one yeah, yeah. that, that one played, is just i think more of this than i have is there a to what degree can you tweak like map size when you're making a custom game you, you i can realize now i haven't okay like if you want like a big epic you know struggle you could make you could you could like spin up a custom map with like no score victory, no tech victory. I forget what it's called. I'm calling it a magic, tech victory. Magic victory. Magic victory. And no uh, unification, I think, is maybe what the uh, other one is called, where you light the three beacons or whatever. Okay. Yeah. You could just if, be if like you, domination on, only, full yeah. destruction. Okay. Yeah. Domination only, slow down uh, the magic progression or whatever. Like, I just want to have my big war with this big rival across the map where this doesn't end until one of us is dead. You can, you can do that. Yeah. So. Okay. But, That's interesting to hear. Yeah. I, I like that idea. I'm wondering if as Rowan gets through the compulsion to play the story missions <laughs> that that will take over and be more interesting. Yeah, well, I mean, that's what that's one of the things I asked about in the Discord, because, you know, with Age of Wonders 3, that was like the way to play, like trying to play through the story mode was kind of shitty. But uh, uh, just making a giant map and having 
big old battles was was pretty damn fun with that. Um, yeah, I think that mostly covers what I wanted to talk about strategically, but the tactical mode is just about as clever unless you all had had further strategic stuff to talk about. No, no, I think it's a good time to to move on to tactics. Yeah, um, and I, I want to lead off the tactics mode discussion by saying that I often find the tactical battles in games like like this, like Heroes of Might and Magic or what have you, uh, really unsatisfying because of how small they are. And I don't like, you know, I don't like those tiny arenas. I don't like the maybe six units on a side feeling. I, I don't find that very interesting. I want a big armies. I want uh, large movements of units to mean something. And I had to say that I was really satisfied with the sort of, yes, it, in each stack of units is only as many as six units, but you can have, I think, 18 units on a side in fights in this. And those are really cool fights. They're really satisfying to have. Yeah, just like as you get into the the larger battles, like there's just enough terrain and just enough like differences in the little armies you have. So like even if you're bringing like 18 units against 14 units, there's there's a feeling of like, okay, I'm charging forward with the left. I can take the left and then sweep up the enemy here as long as they don't destroy my center and so on. And that's just like, that's not what I expected from like what is a fairly small scale tactical tactical map. Mm-hmm. Uh, I expected it to be more about like the the individual confrontations and sort of at the start of the game, it is just like those individual confrontations. But in the the much bigger battles, there is actually like a kind of narrative sweep to who's winning in what part. And it's still pretty fast. It's still quite fun. There's still lots of interesting decisions to make. Um and, and there's enough space for maneuver to mean something. Rising narrative to it. What was that? There, uh, there's enough space for maneuver to mean something. Yes, which is always a a high value thing to me in a lot of these games. Like there's terrain, mm-hmm. there's terrain with effects, which is rare in a in an interesting way, I guess. Um, yeah, like, I like that you can take cover in little thickets, or like, yeah, we're fighting in a weird fairy forest, so like, there's lucky clover patches that give you bonus to credit if you're standing on them, right? Like little things like that to play with are cool, and your unit abilities can interact with stuff, uh, setting things on fire, and the fire can spread. And I always like it when you can set a forest yeah. on fire. There's there's yeah. the one where Which you can like, run in video games, but not in the real world. Target a target a group of trees and turn them into plant units. You know, there's yeah. Also, so like, like, yeah, or go ahead. I just had this battle where um, the the map had given me like this weird little valley that I could go across to get into like my main rivals area. And I didn't realize that's what happening. I just knew she was vaguely over there. Um, so I, I sent two stacks uh, along this along this little valley. And all of a sudden she pops up with three stacks and she, the stacks are generally weaker, but she's still got this 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 pretty decent advantage over me. But I like see, okay, here are all because I'm in this like hilly forest, I can set up all these little choke points and like I take her first charge, absorb it, beat it down, and then I like charge forward with my guys. And it's it's a pretty big bloodbath. Like I don't have 
a massive advantage because I've done this, but I have a very satisfying slight tactical advantage that I slowly turn into a victory because I managed to do, you know, pay attention to where the terrain was. And it wasn't like a really frustrating or long process to do, um, which it can be in some of the more intricate tactical games, nor was it like just such a generic map that it's just like you're putting, you know, a tarantula and a snake in a jar and shaking it so that they fight. And then one of them <laughs> will win. Like that's, that's how a lot of these, that's how a lot of these like fantasy, like we've talked about this a lot. This is one of my sort of my core theories of fantasy or not fantasy, but like strategy games that have different tactical and strategic layers. And for whatever reason, fantasy games love to have different uh, strategic and tactical levels in the way that like, historical games don't necessarily i think because master of magic did it or just because people like seeing the orcs move i'm not sure um i think we all like it when orc go up yes Mm -hmm. orc go up very very smash uh the in a lot of them and even going back to age of wonders one and often age of wonders three like it just feels like you're taking extra time to do things, but this one feels like the units are like placed at the right area. It's paced well to get it. So that like the first turn is kind of maneuver. And then the second turn is combat. And then the third turn, you're completely all in. Um, It plays quick. Uh, You're not like spending too much time looking at animations or waiting for things to happen. That's, extremely important and not necessarily yeah. a thing that these games always get right yeah and not uh, only does it play quick you can click you can right click during animations to make them go at like 10 10 times speed that's that's neat i have not i have not noticed that no. one yet there are there are a few times where the movement i'm like okay yes i get it you're moving <laughs> um so i will i will remember that uh there's Matt, also where he's going it's nice it's good there's also I like, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, comparing this to Planetfall. I think there's another area where it would have been really easy to overcomplicate things in terms of like unit abilities. And it's basically every unit has like three things they can do. And there might be there might be some edge cases where it goes above that. But it seems like they've stood stuck pretty strictly to. There's three things that every unit can do at most, and we would rather rather add another unit type than just like add more stuff. Like, okay, this this the, uh, unit has a specific item attached to it now that gives it another ability. There's, yeah, the, there's the, a the heroes can get like a dozen abilities, but they're your sort of right. heroes. And then yeah, the, hero units, yeah, the mythic tier units, right? Like the mm-hmm. thunder giant or what have you. Like the the very powerful units will have four. I've never seen one with like five abilities. Right. And you know, the, and of course, like we talked about earlier, they've kind of replaced equipment slots for normal units with like spells you cast that just change all of the units of that type. And then you end up paying a magic upkeep for them. And also yeah, your magic, cool. your magic pool is shared between campaign stuff and tactical stuff, which sort of solves one of the, you know, perennial three MA you know, bugbear problems of it's hard to have a game that has a good, meaningful strategic layer and a good, meaningful tactical layer where one does not undermine the other. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. 
So there's also some very clever design in just what the each individual unit or not not individual unit, what each general unit type does. So mm-hmm. there's like a general melee unit. There's like polearm units. There's support units. There's archer units. There's cavalry units. Or there's charge units, uh, which is, aren't necessarily cavalry, but all cavalry usually is. Um, and like the rock, paper, scissors is super intuitive. It's the spear units are really, really good against cavalry and giant units. Perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh they're not so good against archers. Archers can tear them up. Um, you hover over a unit when you have something and it lets you see just how much damage you're likely to do. Crits and misses are are potentially part of that, but just how much damage you're likely to do to make those choices real quick. It's like, do I want to you know, attack their toughest unit and slowly knock him down or do I want to take out half the health of this other unit that's here? Uh, healing is really interesting in that there's there's a few like regeneration things that will build hit points real hit points back up but most healing is done with temporary hit points mm-hmm. so if you have a unit get down to half health you can pretty much instantly get it back up with temporary hit points they'll just still be damaged on the strategic map so you're still Which I found to be a really just like, elegant solution because in a lot of these yeah. games the whatever faction has healing can snowball best can win right simply Mm -hmm. just win win more because you get into like a shitty fight on purpose just so you can cast a bunch of healing spells on your (laughs) units right instead of dealing with the slow tactical map yeah and it it just it just feels like oh why would they do that and then you think about it for a second it's like oh yes that solves this problem that would be really really a big deal in a lot of other things um the thing that I really like about making the tactical battles have like fast, interesting choices is that when you get melee units next to another unit, they will pin down that unit and moving away, which has to be done to cast spells or fire arrows, means that they get a free attack. Or you can maybe try to knock that unit out or whatever uh, so that your, your other guys are no longer pinned. So you're ha- having this choice about do I just want to take this hit? Do I want to try to get out of this with my other units? Do I want to attack with them? Um, And it also ends up tying back into the strategic layer because if you can easily pin down what are usually the highest damage units with cheap melee units, then it's really good to build cheap melee units. So you have a reason to build your tier one and tier two units even when you have like, the ability to summon massive storm giants and whatever. So yeah, which I really like. Reasons to like build your armies both wide and tall, uh, which is... Mm-hmm. It's, it's a weird thing in these games where like, oh, I just have a better unit now. I'll never build my generic pikemen again. No, those generic pikemen in Age of Wonders 4 can be useful. You don't have to build them, but the choice is viable. Yeah, and, and you can even lean all in if you want to, right? Like the chaos specialty has, hey, you're going to have a horde of tier one and two units. That's what you're going to do. Right. Yes. And you, there you, are you, some... You can <laughs> cast are... spells that directly improve tier one units. You can cast spells that will make like all of your smaller unit or all of your weaker units just stronger enough so that like you've you've now customized your race into being all about just 
flooding the zone with archers and pikemen. There are some cases where that doesn't work out too well. Like if you go up against a Baylor or a Phoenix, where they can just kill like five tier one units with yeah. a single AOE attack. <laughs> but uh, yeah. yeah, that's another thing that I really am impressed with is just like the scope of the bestiary. Like there's there's like a Dungeons and Dragons monster manual worth of like neutral and hostile critters that you can run into in this game. They've got they're organized into a few different families. Like you've got beasts, you've got giants, you've got demons, you've got like Lovecraftian aberrations, you've got uh you know all these different elementals and like you'll You'll go into like one of these these mini dungeons that like basically turns into a, a wonder after you conquer it. And it, and uh, and John's dog also sounds very excited about the number of different monsters. Oh, he loves it. <laughs> uh, no, I, yeah. I noticed this, too. Yeah. And like, and it's like a monster I've never seen before. Yeah. And some of them are monsters that you can get later. Some yeah. of them are monsters that you can summon. Some of the times you'll get like events that let you add these monsters or or yeah. generic units into your into your armies like i remember i had i had one game where i think i was playing as kind of i think it was orcs or something that didn't really have like generic standing up with shields guys but yeah. i did an event where i got to add a just like a regular tier one some some white dudes with shields and like the spells I would cast would make their shields glow in a really cool way that none of the orcs got because none of the orcs used the shield. So this was like a really memorable tier one unit that lasted me most of the uh, most of the campaign and just kept getting buffed because I would cast these other spells. And it was like a really neat, like emergent narrative moment where, yeah, the, the anvil guard or whatever they were called was ended up being a useful unit throughout and there's there's actually a decent amount of that because like you can get bigger battles that end up killing a lot of guys but you can also just stick with a stack of six units that ends up being you know one you fight a dozen battles with over the campaign and you just like get to know like what their strengths are how to how to maneuver them into doing the most damage into in a few turns and um yeah the the scope of it ends up being like it's a little bit wider than planet falls which was which was like halfway to xcom at times uh at this one i feel like it's gotten the right amount to actually have like a strategic layer uh that that functions in a way that also you remember your individuals yeah and they certainly have that veteran c ranking system going that really helps to help you figure out like, oh, this, this unit is interesting, you know, at this, you know, this generic human sword and shield guy, it's just all right. But once I've had him for a while and he ranks up, he actually gets, you know, quite strong, very good at what it does. Right. I, I like that stuff. And a lot mm-hmm. of them get a, a bonus ability too when they reach their like legend rank. Or what and it's, it's just enough that you don't like, you really don't want to lose a max veteran rank unit, but it's not so overwhelming that like if your army gets wiped out, you're like, well, okay, I'm screwed for the rest of the campaign. Like you can still make rookies work. Um, but you know, again, I think it's a place where they find found a really nice balance point between 
giving you rewards for keeping the same unit alive for a long time, but not making it such a huge difference that, you know, you feel like you just have to go grind on critters, you know, like you're jungling in Dota if you lose your your main <laughs> army, you know. Um, yeah, so we've talked a lot about what we like about this game. Uh, do any of you have particular criticisms uh, of of how Age of Wonders 4 does things? I think that for all that it is flexible and not overwhelming, mm-hmm. it's still very, quote, build driven. And yeah. not everything in the game meshes well with that. The reliance on random events to add spice to your fights can work against the build you've chosen right like you you happen to not get any cool things nearby that are going to give you a bonus to city expansion uh any of the sort of like generic spawned wonders or whatever and you've chosen to focus on city expansion so you're like okay great i just don't really get any wonder bonuses this game or you're you want your leader to be a really cool powerful wizard but you keep all you get is like badass legendary crossbows or what have you right so you're like okay i guess my leader's gonna be a crossbow guy now yeah i think there's there's sort of a meta progression that like if it feels like you can never really get the full potential of a hero unlocked unless you're very specifically playing like a much much longer campaign and you might get the chance to recruit them later but like if they're already very high level they're going to cost a huge amount of resources i don't know how practical it actually would be to max out a a, a hero unless you were very specifically aiming for that um the other thing is i feel like the ux has some areas where it needs some work also the map generation oh there's there's some edge cases like you know, UX. this is yeah. one of those cursed games where yeah you click to engage something and then right click is what executes the ability yeah. not left click yeah it's just you know why do you do this <laughs> to us well there's like the the rowan mentioned way back at the beginning like there's one of the tomes gives you the ability to basically cast a spell on one of your cities that just turns everything around it into snow land which is cool um but any tile that is like recognized as like a magical frozen wonderland tile uh can get this modifier called arctic blizzards uh that prevents replenishment even if you're standing on your capital city which is kind of weird and there's no indication in the ux that this is happening it's not a matter of saying oh snow is falling here because that just happens anyway uh there's no specific graphic for the blizzard and you just have to hover over a unit to see if it's suffering from this terrain effect. And then you move it the next tile over and hover to see if it's suffering from the terrain effect. And then you move it the next tile over, which if you're playing as the ice race, you would think one, if I've literally turned my race into ice, like we're made of ice, doesn't seem like that should be a concern for us. It's cold outside. And two, why is this spell that I cast on all of my cities actually making things worse for me also? Like it does affect me and my enemies, but I I don't know that there's yeah I like the I idea seems... of a backfire, but you should be able to see if there's a backfire. Right. 
Yeah, and know, like, know what the downside is before you actually do it. There's some cool options for underground stuff. Like you can you can make a world that has like very little usable land above ground and like a huge underground. Um, but the AI still seems very incompetent at pathing between the underground and the overworld right now. I oh, is that your are, experience? Did you not find that to be the no, case? My experience is the AI is like, oh, look, I found the underground. I'm going to immediately build cities there at the exclusion of all other then choices. I would be at war with like a free city that was underground and like the entrance to their city was right by my city and they would just never send units up there. Like they'll go underground, but once they're underground, they're like, no, we're oh, not going. The, the free cities going back into the sun again. The free cities like yeah. to they behave differently than other factions. Like they don't they don't raid you unless I think they have like excess resources to build extra armies with. Well, their their overlord was my enemy and they were sending other free cities like telling them to attack me. But that so one just wouldn't. That's interesting. Yeah, I don't know. I I I have a rant. Go for it. Uh, why do fantasy games love to have like an underground or a dark dimension? Like, why can we never just have a fantasy grand strategy game that you play on one map? Like Total Warhammer, I guess we can. But like everything since Master of Magic has this underground or an alternate dimension that you go through the gates and it's like you switch. And like, I just, I don't know what it actually adds except confusion. I don't feel like I'm getting a lot out of being able to go underground in this game. It's, I don't, I, I didn't feel like that at Age of Wonders 1. I didn't feel like that in Master of Magic. I didn't well, I think feel you, like... you need to have a place for your, 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 your dwarves to, to delve deep and greedily. I so, don't know. You can have mountains. Dwarves love mountains. Yeah. But, but what's it, under it the just, mountain? It just feels like this default design choice that you have a second map that. So in 19, I don't know that I've ever, I don't know that I've ever seen actually function in a way that I'm like excited about having this alternate second map going on. It's just another thing that I have to worry about another button on the UX. Uh, fantasy right, strategy game designers, you need to, you need to have some intentionality here. What I, I said have to I say was is ranting. What I get it. In 1967, Ed Greenwood created the Forgotten Realms, <laughs> and then he added the Underdark to it. And later, he sold it to TSR as a setting for Dungeons and Dragons. And then every generation of game designers since played that, and they're like, "Well, fantasy worlds, the, fantasy the worlds have an underground. That's it. Period." The, forgot the Forgotten Realms and its consequences have been, have a, been disaster. a disaster for the <laughs> fantasy <laughs> genre. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad. I'm glad to be among my peers and thinking the Forgotten Realms are boring as fuck. The Forgotten Realms have become boring because they are so influential. Uh, I I have thought that the Forgotten Realms were boring since the '90s. I was always the Dragonlance girl. Um, well, that's a this is a very different argument that we can't have on this podcast. We're gonna need to start uh, another one to have it. But when, when Baldur's Gate three comes out, I think that's talk. Tactical combat should be enough that we can we can do that. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll do a VG three show. We'll argue about uh, when that to, to go to go back to the to go back to Lynn's point about the UX and stuff. Uh, actually, actually get the rant under control. Um, 
there is just a lot of polish stuff in this game that I feel like polish and balance that I feel like patches and expansions like they made a fantasy game without dragons. When are they adding dragons? Uh, next or next month? This month, actually, uh, yes. June twentieth. <laughs> that was that was just announced today. I was that was, I was yeah setting it up. I was giving a little. Uh, but yeah, there, there's no. just like a lot of tiny little bugs, some little glitches, some UX things that, yeah, yeah they they announced like the big patch notes for when the dragons come out and they're like switching like the chance that you can make undead for one of the undead skills or spells from 60% to 20%, which is so massive. It makes me think that this was like game breakingly awful. Uh, yeah, yeah, just that kind of thing. It- it was by all accounts and it seems like they they do seem quite receptive to changes and open to what the community wants a lot though um like for example everybody was like we wish there was there were more cavalry units because you can choose special options for your race where instead of riding you know generic horses or what have you they ride wolves or spiders or fucking unicorns which actually quick aside the unicorns in this game rule they make They're me brutal they one they are horrifying which is what uniforms <laughs> should always be uh-huh. in that they should murder everything they touch but also they leave rainbows behind them when they charge <laughs> they stream rainbow it is the funniest and most incredible joyous thing i love it i like always it always i want to be with you okay we're gonna yep, get, yep nailed it we're gonna copyright strike oh. so uh, yeah i had i had to throw yeah. that out there plus they seem very uh, open to changes and it's things like making a major change in how the sort of necromancy balance works or how the, you know, like, oh, well, there's not enough cavalry units. Okay. We're going to take a, a group of the units that already exist in the game. And if you've chosen one of these special cavalry abilities, they're going to become a cavalry unit for you while you're playing that faction. And I think those sorts of choices are, are really satisfying to, to see from horse, the developer because a lot of the time horse girl trait in empire creation look yeah <laughs> uh, uh, and it's been really interesting watching the game's release and like how they are projecting the game out to both us as press and uh just anyone who happens to own the game they're like Watch this video to see how to build your your characters out or how to build your races. Watch this video to see how to mod the game. We love the mods. We want more mods. Fill up our Steam Workshop with mods. Uh, and it, it just seems like it's a very... It, they're, they're pushing the idea that this is an extremely welcoming, fun, like whole community game in addition to just being a sit down and play your strategy game, which is it's kind of fascinating. I haven't seen this... I haven't seen this in like a decade, but a decade ago, it was all this Farmville crap that was like, we'll make more money if we do this. Where this game, it seems like they just earnestly want people to play it and play it well. Yeah. It's a little uh, overwhelming. It's like having a, an enthusiastic friend who's demanding that you paint your first Warhammer figurine right then. But it is <laughs> it is kind of cute. It is. Yeah, it's very honest. And I I like that they want people to go ahead and uh upgrade and add things and tweak the game and mod it because like i was like oh, i wish there were more units for cultures and out of curiosity I've, I've just clicked on the workshop and there's somebody who's already made a mod that adds like a dozen units based on culture to every yeah 
every faction. So like, great, cool. I, I love that this already exists. Ah, oh, well, I, I think I'm going to go touch grass here pretty soon before we get our 35th thunderstorm this week in Colorado, because we stole all the precipitation from the rest of the Rockies that is currently on fire and turning uh, the East Coast into a hell dimension or something. It looks like from the smoke, but any final thoughts or anything we glossed over for Age of Wonders 4? I feel like this is a game that I'm not going to stop playing after, you know, I hang up this call. Yeah. Which is which sounds like a really, really generic thing to say. Uh, but like I've been I've been playing a whole bunch of mega games lately. And like I did the Darkest Dungeon show and I don't dislike Darkest Dungeon a ton. We have our issues, as you can hear on that show. But I have not touched that game since. Whereas this game just feels like, yeah, this is one that I will click on when I feel like getting some good little strategy in that doesn't take up like an entire week, like starting a Crusader King Kings game would. Right. Yeah, I like I like I think the bite size, the ability to play it in bite sized chunks is a huge upgrade uh, is very nice. And I also just think that generally mm -hmm. speaking. Anytime we say and I'm going to say it too, like this is a game I'm going to keep playing after I hang up this call which is a big compliment for someone who has very limited personal gaming time, right? Like, which is true of, I think, anyone who plays video games as part of their job. Like, right. I'm giving some of my limited time when I'm not playing games that, that I'm being paid to play, and I'm going to choose this, which, you know, that means something. It really does. Like, I honestly think... I want to make a list of games that I played for more than 20 hours after I finished the review, because that's honestly a better indication of how much I enjoyed it than like any number that I could put on it, you know, on on a scale from one to ten. Um, yeah, so sounds like we all we all recommend Age of Wonders 4 pretty, pretty readily if you're in the mood for a fantasy 4X. Um, Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. Uh, you can go to, I believe, 3ma.net still works or idlethumbs.com slash 3ma. One of those. We have forums. Uh, social media is collapsing. Uh, Elon's getting rid of block function. Like it just this website gets worse every every week, it seems like. So maybe check out the forums, I. you know, <laughs> exactly. Uh yeah, we are at 3MA on Twitter if you want to brave, brave the uh, collapse a little bit longer. Um, I'm I'm still kind of hanging out there a little bit. Um, what else do we say at the end of the show? Patreon! <laughs> We're supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. That's patreon.com slash 3MA. Uh, for as little as a dollar, you can help us keep doing this. You can get access to our Discord server. Um, we're probably going to end up doing a live recorded show this month. That's for, for our uh, third tier patrons and up, maybe just to talk about, I don't know, all the strategy stuff that came out of not E3. And if there's any of it we think is, is worth keeping an eye on uh, stuff like that. Um, we'll probably be back with a, I know uh, what's the war game everybody's been talking about on the Discord that we should probably do a show on. Uh, and Rise of the Waves, or yeah, Rule the Waves. Rule the Waves. Uh, oh no! Yeah, oh, we... my weakness. 
that's probably going to be our next main feed episode. Uh, we just need to we need to 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 light the grognard beacon, which I'm sure John will will answer. We'll see who else will answer that one uh, with this Windows 98 looking <laughs> spreadsheet naval warfare. Windows 3.1 looking. Uh, yeah, that's true. 98 might be giving it too much credit. Um, did I miss anything? The show's produced by me and and also Zencaster and uh, uh, Maker's Mark Whiskey. <laughs> oh, we got a sponsor. I ran. Oh, yeah. If they want to send us some money or some Not whiskey, a sponsor. I, I ran Lens out of more drunk. dignified, more dignified podcast lubrication. So I'm literally just drinking whiskey out of the bottle like a fucking mine prospector or something. Um, <laughs> yeah, we do live in Colorado. That's true. Yeah. That's true. I got a whiskey from Colorado called Tin Cup that had a tin cup like the miners yeah. would drink as a little shot glass. It's it's a pretty good whiskey too. I, yeah, I enjoyed I it. Yeah. it. Yeah. Um, yes, <laughs> that's going to do it for this week. For John and for Rowan, this is Len saying good night.